Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jake. I am um, a part of the team here, and I run the Next Steps ministry and also the Welcome Home ministry and have uh, the blessing. I was talking with Ron this morning. I've been coming to Grace, I realized, for nine years. I think that's the longest I've ever been a part of a church. But I've almost lived in Texas longer than I've lived anywhere else, too. I like to start, uh, when I, I speak, I like to start with jokes, so kind of loosen up, but like this is gonna have to be participative. So like you have to laugh. Good, good, that was good practice. But I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna tell you some jokes too. But like, talk back to me, sometimes it's like you're speaking in a SpongeBob eyes, they just kind of look at you like <laughs> Your password is weak. Well, so is my memory, so let me keep it. <laughs> you, an intellectual, nine plus seven is 16. Me, with ADHD, if you take one from nine and give it to seven, that's eight plus eight, and eight times two is 16. <laughs> How many of you would have done it that way? Yeah, me too. 2020 sounded like the most futuristic year, and now we're all like, I traded my neighbor a handkerchief for some carrots. My wife is blaming me for ruining her birthday, which is ridiculous. I didn't even know it was her birthday. <laughs> okay, one more. Streaming music. Every song is available on every platform. Streaming TV shows. Season one is on Netflix, season two is on Hulu, except for the season finale, which is only available on HBO Japan. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. How many of you brought your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see them. All right. We're like probably 40% of digital Bibles now. I have those too. I like them all. Matthew chapter 5. We've been in, we started actually this series. <clears throat> Matthew 5 would be not Mark 5. We started this series on the Beatitudes last week. Didn't Amanda do an amazing job? If you have not seen that and you weren't uh, here, I encourage you to go to gp.church forward slash sermons and uh, take a look at that. But Matthew chapter 5, you know, everything in the kingdom is opposite of the world. Every kingdom value is opposite to world values. If somebody hits you, our natural instinct is we want to hit them back. But Jesus said, turn your other cheek. In the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. But in the New Testament, Jesus touched a leper and the leper became clean. Everything is opposite. The old Roman law of forcing a Jew to carry his military pack, that was actually a Roman law that any soldier in the empire of Rome could force a Jew to carry their pack one mile. That's, that's where you, you hear this phrase, uh, going the extra mile, because Jesus said, take it two miles. If a Roman soldier says, carry my pack one mile, Jesus said, take it two miles. Everything in the kingdom is opposite. It's opposite of what's popular, of what is celebrated, what is culturally relevant, you know, in the church, particularly in the American church, we tell Jesus that 
coming, or we tell people that coming to Jesus is a gift. And indeed it is. How many of you believe if grace is a gift? It's a free gift. We tell people to come as they are. And indeed, that's really what Jesus meant. That's where Jesus actually meets us, to come where we are. We tell people that the grace of God makes a way for you to have a relationship with your creator. All of that is true. But I think there's a miscommunication in the church that coming to Jesus and then it ends there. It's like we get our heaven card punched. How many of you have ever had to hand a boarding pass to a ticket agent yeah. or on the train? And in the movies and the, on the old trains, they punch your card so you can get in. It's like coming to Jesus has been reduced to getting our heaven card just punched. And then after that, you don't have anything left to do but just sit around and wait for the rapture, come to church and sing awesome songs, and it all kind of ends there. But remember, kingdom values are different than world values. This, this mindset cheapens the gospel and diminishes it to a membership of some elitist club where you can do whatever you want and ask for forgiveness later. That there's no price to pay. Maybe this sounds a little controversial, but Jesus didn't ask us to make Christians. He asked us to make disciples. Matthew 28, he asked us to make disciples. Accepting Jesus is only the beginning of what is to become a lifestyle of kingdom living, a lifestyle of sustained revival, and a lifestyle of dying to yourself daily for the sake of the cross. It's kingdom living that recognizes that the Lord wants to use you to change the world. And the price of that is to forsake who you were so that you can become who the Lord has made you to be. Okay, that went over pretty good. I guess let's go to the Bible. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you have read that verse and thought, I don't want to be poor in anything. <laughs> All of us, right? Well, Jesus is doing what has often been called, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, it was often been called his most famous sermon. I actually have a, a, a picture of the Mount of Beatitudes. Yep, thank you. That's, oops, that's actually, the, uh, there's a Catholic church on the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel. It's right off the Sea of Galilee. And so this is actually the mountain where they think that Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. Now, of course, we don't know for sure. I've, I've been to the empty tomb also, all three of them. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These beatitudes we're talking about in this series show the contrast against the values of the world versus the values of, of the kingdom. And it's important 
to mention that he preaches this list, after he preaches this list of what we have come to know as the Beatitudes, afterwards Jesus goes into his dissertation that you must be salt and light. You are a city on a hill. He goes into the salt and light in the city on the hill dissertation. But you can't be salt and light without having kingdom values. Well, how do you have kingdom values? It's all above this in the Beatitudes. You are a peacemaker. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You are poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, first of all, let me just say, he's not talking about being broke money. Like he ain't got no money. I think sometimes we read that and we're like, yeah, I don't really want to be poor. And like, do I have to take a vow of poverty? Because, well, frankly, I like better coffee than cheap coffee. And it costs money to be able to drink that. He's not talking about finances. He's talking about being spiritually impoverished and coming to an understand that there is nothing about you, there is nothing about me that merits a relationship with God. Nothing. In fact, the only thing that merits a relationship with Jesus is Jesus. All the sin we've ever committed, all the sin we're currently committing and will ever commit separates us from God. But it is Christ who fills the gap. It is the Lord who provided the sacrifice. Having paid the ultimate price to restore your relationship and my relationship with the living God. You see, who we were before Christ is a direct result of our spiritual bankruptcy. But who we are in the kingdom is incumbent not upon what we do, but what the Lord has done. But it doesn't end there. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. But he didn't say, you are finished. He said, it is finished. It's my spiritual bankruptcy that put him on the cross, but it's my responsibility to pursue what the Lord paid for. Paul says in Philippians, to work out your salvation with joy and trembling. If it's my sin that separated me from God, and it's my sin that causes me to live selfishly, and it's my sin that costs Jesus his Isaiah 64, verse 4 says, All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And by now, some of you guys are going, When does Pastor Allen come back? <laughs> There's nothing that we could ever do to pay for the price that Jesus has already paid for you. Look what happened just here, just one week ago today. Two people made a public profession of their faith in recognizing in baptism. What is baptism about? You are buried with Christ. What are you bearing? You're bearing your sin. You're bearing your selfishness. You're bearing your hatred. But you have been risen to walk a new life. 
the resurrection has to mean something to you and me too. But it starts with this understanding of my own spiritual bankruptcy. So you can't, you can't come to Christ without that recognition. And I think that's why it's becoming increasingly difficult in America. Because when, when you think about it, we have a pretty awesome life. You know, like our freeways don't swallow you usually in the potholes, usually. Some of these county roads, but. <laughs> Most of us have plenty of food at our house. In fact, we have so much food in our house that we don't know what to cook, so we go buy more food at a restaurant. We have a pretty good life in America. But I think that's why sharing the gospel is becoming so difficult in America. Because really, it's, it's easy to share the gospel with people who've lived a struggled and troubled life. I remember when we lived in Las Vegas and we were a part of a church staff in, in Las Vegas. And, and by the time people came to the church, they had been to strip clubs. Some of them had been a part of the adult entertainment industry. They had tried prostitution. They had tried drugs. They had tried drunkenness. It's pretty easy to recognize spiritual poverty when you're coming out of that lifestyle. But like, we have our, our Monday through Friday jobs, some of you. We clock out, we go home. We have 16 different TV subscription services, $100 cable, and bags of food at our house. It's a pretty easy life. No, it's my spiritual bankruptcy that put him on the cross. And it's my responsibility. I want to see the Lord get what he actually paid for. There's nothing that we could ever do to pay this price. You were hopeless. You were lost. How many of you remember the movie Passion of the Christ? Anybody saw that? When that came out, there were all kind of interviews about that. And... Uh, uh, you know, there were complaints that it was violent. But like the cross was violent. If you're only reading a children's Bible, it's watered down. But if you're actually studying what the cross meant, that it was Roman execution. So some of you wear crosses around your neck. That would be the modern equivalent of wearing an electric chair. It was a form of execution. And when that movie came out, director Mel Gibson was asked if he was trying to pin the cross on the Jews. Was it the Jews who killed Jesus? That's not so, Gibson replied. We're all culpable. We're all guilty. I can show this picture of Jesus from that movie. We all killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. In fact, every sin that we've ever committed on the cross, he knew of in advance, 2,000 years in advance. We killed Jesus. In 1969, Frank Sinatra came out with his famous song, My Way. Remember that song? Some of the lyrics, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. 
It's this attitude that marked the 20th century and it's marking the 21st century. My way, my career, my education, my money, my body, my choice, me, 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 my rights. It's this mentality that despite millennia of procreation, we still haven't figured out what causes pregnancy, so, but we sure know how to remove the problem. We haven't figured out the depravity that goes into the heart of murder, but we sure understand it's the gun that did it and not the evil that's within the heart of man. We understand that politics are not the solution to our problems, but we're convinced that his politics, that her politics are the cause. I'm far less concerned with the evil that's in the world. I'm far more concerned about the evil that's within me. I killed Jesus. One of my favorite sermons that Alan's ever done, in fact, I think it's the only one that he's ever done twice, was called East of Eden. And it's the story of Cain and Abel. You remember? When God tells Cain, watch out, sin is crouching at your door. People of God, wake up. Decide that this really means something. Is the gospel just a ticket to heaven or is it a catalyst towards freedom? What did Jesus free you from? Was it addiction? What did he free you from? Did he save your marriage? Did he restore your broken heart? What are we even doing here if not for the grace of God to save me from myself, to save you from yourself? Why are we even gathering? Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you come to terms with the fact that it was your sin and my sin that put Jesus on the cross, when you come to the profound realization that nobody if nobody in the world had ever sinned except you, he still would have died for you. I like how the Passion Translation, which is a paraphrased version, much like uh, the Message version, translate this verse. It says, what happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. This has obvious parallels to Jesus quoting Isaiah chapter 60 in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Who are the poor? We are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's recognizing that there's not a single thing that any of us can do to earn the forgiveness of sin except for the sacrifice that was made possible through Christ Jesus. We are completely and wholly dependent upon God for there is no other way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, a German pastor. He was killed in, I believe, 1949 for speaking out against Hitler and the Nazi regime. And he wrote in his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world 
It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There's a second part to this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we've already discussed how the goal of the gospel isn't only to get your heaven ticket punched. And don't, I don't want any emails. I absolutely believe that you go to heaven after you accept Jesus. I am not denying that. Okay, we're all, we're all clear. I absolutely believe that by accepting Christ's ransom, you go to heaven. I just don't think it ends there. To me, that's an exciting byproduct of yet a bigger goal. And what is the bigger goal? It's relationship. It's relationship with your creator. You absolutely can get your sins forgiven and limit your Christianity to just church attendance and going to heaven when you die. But that's where you've chosen to level off. If I could get the worship team to come up. The entire ambition of scripture is relationship. You can read it. It, it starts in Genesis 1 and it goes through 66 books. In fact, I think the Bible can be summed up and how God has worked through history to restore broken relationship with you and me. Well, what broke it? I did with my sin. You did with my sin. That, that word sin is an archery term, from, a term called omarta, which just means to miss the mark. So if any of you have ever been in archery I haven't so I would miss the mark and you pull back it it means missing the mark anybody missed the mark this week I have like just this morning but your breakthrough comes in your pursuit what if the Lord is building something that's so big in you that you don't currently have room enough to contain it because the kingdom of God lives in you. I want to hear the sound of a people whose lives have been yielded to the Holy Spirit. Will you stand up? I want to hear a sound of a people who recognized that they had nothing to come into this relationship But the Lord has paid everything for us. It's this sound of a radical movement of love that's made possible through the gospel. It becomes a catalyst to new things. It's a catalyst to hope in your neighborhood. It's a catalyst to hope in your friend's marriage or your own marriage. It's a catalyst to live a new life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him 
come and die. We have a responsibility to tell the world that there is hope.